an initiative of Franciscan University of Steubenville. Faithandreason.com. Be transformed by the renewal of your mind. I want to briefly introduce myself, really as a way of describing how I came to be involved in this. Um, Alan mentioned, sorry, Dr. Shrek mentioned, I will m mistake that more than once, I'm sure, um, that I'm a member of NARTH, which is a National Association for Research and Therapy of Homosexuality. It's a, the name is what it is, um, uh, but um, when I was asked to become more involved in that organization, the first name that came to mind was Amos. Again, the prophet Amos, he's called to go uh, prophesy to the northern kingdom, and Basically, he's uh, put in his place as, look, you're not a prophet, go home. And he said, look, I was, a, uh, I was a shepherd, a dresser of sycamores, the Lord said go, so I went. And in a very real sense, um, to say you're called, again, that, I don't think that's presumptuous, but I certainly did not seek out the work, a lot of the work that I presently involved in. I do lots of different things for lots of different people. I do lots of marriage counseling. Um, I work at the seminary helping all, with all kinds of needs and so on, developmental needs. Um, but a small part of our group, uh, of my work, does involve serving people with unwanted same-sex attraction. Uh, so I'll briefly mention that. Um, the, the, the best thing I can say is that when I was an undergrad, um, uh, Professor Shrek and I were both fortunate to, with our experience involved uh, in a charismatic renewal group. Because what happened for me is that when I finally went to study clinical psychology, marriage and family therapy, I had already in place habits of daily personal prayer, scripture reading. Um, I would go to Mass, maybe not daily, but certainly more often than just Sunday, um, uh, spiritual reading. I was very much into um, uh, reading magisterial document, documents, um, a, a lot of which I have written about, but which they'll come in, in, into this play a little bit, but not a lot um, here. And, um, <clears throat> And of course, face sharing with brothers in Christ. Um, these are all things that I developed habits of as a, as a young adult, and they've, they've stood me the test of time to today. They helped me when I was in, in secular programs to discern what was true and not, what was good and not, and so on. And so I, um, uh, when, I came, when I was finally asked to come to Franciscan to be the first director of its master's in counseling program, it wasn't because I had a whole lot of learning or even experience integrating faith and reason in this area. But I had begun to do it, and I was deeply committed to the belief that it was possible, and the rest is history. When time came to leave, then um, I, I was asked uh, by one of our first graduates, Father Ed Sylvia, some of you may know of him or not, CSC, but he said, whatever you do, don't stop teaching. Well, it's easier said than done if you don't have a teaching position, but um, one of the things I kept doing, uh, being a student, you learn how to learn. And I learned how to learn. I began, I continued writing. I would give talks like to the Society for Catholic Social Scientists. At one time we had the, the um, Institute for Personal Psychology here, um, to the um, uh, Fellowship of Catholic Scholars, Catholic Medical Association, and so forth, on lots of different topics that integrate faith and, um, and professional experience. So these are things I've, I've been involved in. Um, w one thing I should say is that um, 
when I left here, one of the themes that eventually that kept me in, interested and that got me into the, the, the work I do helping people with unwanted same-sex attraction was my interest in fatherhood. When I left here, I was committed to two things, being as good a father as I could be to my own children, and also, if I could be, to be present to other children that didn't have a, is a, a present of a father. And so, um, going home, I had, I had time in my schedule to work half-time, and so I signed up with Catholic Charities, and at that time, Catholic Charities provided counselors for Catholic schools. And so the rest is history. Um, uh, day one of showing up, and I worked there for 20 years. This is the, my second year not working in the schools now, but day one, here we go, I'm gonna start getting into my PowerPoint. Oops, sorry. Um, I was known from day one as Dr. Phil. About five years after I got uh, going, uh, Dr. Phil McGraw started appearing on Oprah, and then the rest is history for him. At that time, I asked my, my uh, barber, well, I, you know, people laugh when they hear my name, uh, uh, so I tell them, I'm the Dr. Phil with hair. <laughs> and I asked, well, how long can I say that? And he, he looked at me and said, well, maybe 10 years. It's been 15. <laughs> I, I rest my case. Um, my work at, uh, in Detroit, at Sacred Heart Major Seminary, is like going home. I'm a legacy of the place. My f this is my father. Um, Dad died um, nine years ago. Sorry, he was 90 years old too. Um, you may find me terrible at some points. I'm, uh, I guess I, I am passionate when it comes to things. But at any rate, um, um, for different reasons, a mutual friend of, of uh, Professor Shrek and my was teaching philosophy there, and that's part of how I came to first work there. But the bottom line is that my father studied at what was in Sacred Heart Seminary for eight years, four years of high school, four years of college. Now, um, just to be completely honest, my father is, was not the tallest guy in the world. In fact, <laughs> he was up to here on me. But also, our surname, my surname until two months old was Suhita. Suhita is Polish. My grandparents left Poland 100, this will be 101 years ago, uh, this year sometime. They grew up two miles from where John Paul II was born and raised, but they had left Poland before he was born. Okay. Um, my father, he graduated with his degree in philosophy and classical studies. He did not feel called to be a priest after that. He did start pre-med, and, the, and then poverty uh, delayed his entry into uh, med school. But he felt tapped on the shoulder to continue. And um, at the age of 40, in 1953, he, be, he graduated with an MD from the University of Michigan Med School. My, one of my brothers and I were born in that med school two years before that. So anyway, I'm, I'm proud of him, but uh, there, there are stories within stories sometimes. Okay. Let's get started. Um, this is a, a favorite quote from one of, uh, one of Pope Benedict's Angelus addresses. He says, I invite everyone to look into the face of the other and see that he or she has a soul, a story, and a life. He or she is a person, and God loves him or her as he loves me. Whatever else is true that I might say tonight, um, no matter what kinds of difficulties each of us has, 
And I like to remind ourselves that each of us is a son of Adam or a daughter of Eve, to use um, C.S. Lewis's words. Um, each of us was parented by a son of Adam or a daughter of Eve, if we are married. Each of us is married to a son of Adam or a daughter of Eve. Um, if we have children, each of them is a son of Adam or daughter of Eve. Each of us has our own uh, story in life, but each of us is a person, and God loves us, um, each one of us. Um, and it is with this attitude and philosophy that I continue. All right, human sexuality and the universal call to charity and chastity. In order to talk about homosexuality, the only way that I know of, and I will apologize if I start running out of time, I might be speaking too quickly. So, uh, and I may have more material than I should cover. Again, if, uh, I think I mentioned to Professor Shrek that I would rather have six hours to present than three. But by God's grace, we have the time we have. I am what I am, and we'll see what we can do with this time. Um, but it's important for us to, to um, that regardless of our difficulties, it's imp uh, and, and the difficulty with same-sex attraction, if you will, or homosexuality. The key is we need to remember um, that uh, what, it, what, it, what it means to be human and that the universal call to us all is first charity, and of course part of that is a call to chastity. All right, charity. Love for God, neighbor, and oneself. In Familiaris Consortio, Pope John, uh, John Paul II wrote, love is the fundamental and innate vocation of every human being. Everything I say hopefully uh, stems from that and is meant to help encourage that. Now, Gaudium spares this wonderful quote. Man, who is the only creature on earth who, which God willed for itself, cannot fully find himself except through a sincere gift of himself. This says so much, but I, but I want to unpack it slightly. What does it mean to fully find oneself? Well, first, to fully find, it, it, it seems to me, means uh, beatitude. It means what is our fulfillment? In what way do we experience flourishing or thriving? All of these words uh, are part of what I think the Gaudium et Spes truly means. And the word sincere. These days, sometimes the word sincere simply means well-intended, but that's not what it meant originally. Sine cere. I believe that's how you would say it, without wax. A sincere statue back in the, Latin, in the Roman times was a statue that didn't have nicks and crannies that were filled in with wax. It was without wax. It was genuine. It was true, real, uh, genuine, authentic. The idea of a sincere gift of self, a true, genuine gift of self, not just a well-intentioned gift of self, although God does honor our intentions, but True flourishing, thriving, and so forth comes about as a result of giving ourselves truly and really and genuinely, authentically. Again, but also gift of self for every giver that needs to be a receiver. In other words, giving is, um, it may be true that it's more blessed to give and receive, but there are plenty of people who are very ready to uh, give and not at all ready to receive, and vice versa. Some people are very ready to receive and not as ready to give. The challenge is giving and receiving in a way that is best for both the giver and the receiver. Again, the gift of self. <clears throat> now, human nature, we are incarnate spirits. That is, we are a soul which expresses itself in a body, and a body informed by an immortal spirit. Man is called to love in his unified totality. Again, um, the word anthropology means something very different in a, in a secular um, uh, 
psychology program or, or a social science program, but the idea of knowing who we are as human beings um, is crucial. I bless the Lord every day that I was a, uh, I was a psychology, uh, philosophy undergrad because it is hard enough to serve people if you have a clear sense of what it means to be a human being. Much harder if your idea of what it means to be a human being, let alone your own sense of self, is um, uh, inaccurate. Now, I'm going to apologize here, but when I told someone, someone, a good friend of mine back home who is a youth leader, who sings, who uh, leads music ministry, that I was coming here to Steubenville, where she has come and at times led music, uh, she knew I have, a, I have a habit. I will put, I will take a tune and put words to it, and I will also then vice versa. I will, uh, I will um, uh, make up make up tunes to go with the words that I want to say. So, with all apologies, um, I'm going to say something here. Again, it's just Christian anthropology. I've got to get into it here. We are human, body and soul, body and soul, human. A psychosomatic unity, we're human. Body and soul, body and soul, we're human. A psychosomatic unity. <laughs> so much of what pretends to be psychology or mental health today does not honor what our human nature is. And so um, we need to keep these things in mind. The truth will set us free, but it comes at a cost. Um, and today, part of the cost of being someone who is a professional in mental health is living with and other people who are not trained to think uh, about what human nature really is like. All right, the word sexuality, I want to speak about that briefly. From the Catechism we read, sexuality affects all aspects of the human person in the unity of his or her body and soul. From the, uh, the Catechism, sexuality concerns affectivity. Affectivity would be our emotionality. Um, uh, affect is another name for emotion in uh, um, the mental health profession. Sexuality also includes the capacity to love and procreate. It also includes the aptitude for forming bonds of communion with others. In other words, our sexuality is not just about, if you will, behaviors that lead to sexual gratification. But again, sexuality is part of the, our whole being, which may include some of these things, but it's much more about who we are as a complete person, and not just a given behavior or a given experience or, or gratification of that. <clears throat> it goes on. Uh, whoops, I already said that one. Sorry. All right, now, um, we're all called to love. Chastity is a part of that love. Um, in a minute, I will talk about a few things that the Catechism has to say about uh, the Sixth Commandment, thou shalt not commit adultery, that relates to chastity. But before that, it strikes me that um, part of what we need to know, and I'm gonna digress here a second. You know, this is the, uh, called the year of faith, the year for uh, the new evangelism or for a re-evangelization. We're called to faith in, in to have a personal saving relationship with Jesus Christ, who is the way, the truth, and the life. He is the truth that as we that we learn, you know, through the 
through the, um, the creeds and so on. And of course, the catechism itself is a compendium of our truths. Um, the life, uh, the life of prayer, communal and personal, the life of grace through the sacraments and other, other means. But it's also the way, the way of virtue, of course, the way of charity and the way of the virtues that um, help express and help to nurture and engender charity in ourselves and others. And chastity is one of those virtues. But it's important for us to remember that, that more than commandments about what not to do, Chastity, like all of the virtues, are beatitudes, calls to uh, peace and joy. The Catechism says chastity means a successful integration of sexuality within the person and thus the inner unity of man in his bodily and spiritual being. But this is my tenth beatitude. The ninth I count as the one that isn't listed in the eight. You know, blessed are they when they revile you and persecute you and so on. If that's, that ought to be the ninth, I suppose. This is my tenth. Blessed are the chaste, for they will know the peace and joy that comes through sexual self-control in the service of genuine love for one's neighbors and oneself. That is, chastity, far from being a thou shalt not, is a call to sexual self-control in the service of genuine love that results in the fruit of peace and joy, as the other virtues um, will and ought to in our lives. That is not to deny, as, as, as one of my, if you will, heroes from my undergraduate days, C.S. Lewis, um, we were steeped in him. As he puts it, chastity is the most unpopular of the Christian virtues. Whether that's true, it certainly, uh, has its, uh, it certainly is in the top running. As he puts it, either marriage with complete faithfulness to your partner or else total abstinence. There's no in between. That is a severe mercy, is it not? Um, at the time I was in school, I remember reading someone who basically said um, that at its best and at its worst, sex means what marriage means, and marriage means what sex means. Um, this is my way of, of uh, casually talking about what is, what is, um, what is the, the marital embrace meant to be. Uh, and it's part of a wedding toast I gave each of my three children who are married. Um, uh, I, I, I wished them that they would be this way, but again, that I will be always, only, totally, fruitfully yours in Christ. Always, permanence, only, fidelity, total and fruitful. I am, um, I'm open to new life, but I'm also, I'm also open to giving myself to you unreservedly, Again, as is good and best for you and for me. Um, genuine love is always self-restraining. That is, I may have many good things to give someone else, but they may not be ready or in a place to receive it. So my challenge is to love someone wisely. All right. Now, it's my belief that the church is and ought to become more of an equal opportunity annoyer. Um, the, the South Bend, um, by that I mean this. Um, I am... When I was a graduate student studying psychology, marriage and family therapy, was the first time that I had reason and became, if you will, more zealously pro-life. Um, I, am, I am grateful that our church in the U.S. has been uh, zealously pro-life. It seems to me at this time in history, though, we have to become as zealously pro-chastity, which is 
same as by zealously pro-family, zealously um, pro-marriage. Um, to say pro-chastity, though, is to say all those other things as well. What I have here is just, this is, we have a, a mission statement that we read. It's longer than this, but this is one paragraph. Um, I think we can, this became part of our uh, meetings in 2002. But it basically says, Scripture and Catholic tradition teach that sexual activity is intended only for a man and woman within the covenant of permanent faithful marriage. All, all unchaste behavior is wrong, including fornication, contraception, adultery, masturbation, pornography, and homosexual behavior. If you look, uh, look at the Catholic Catechism under the Sixth Commandment, under the section Offenses Against Charity, you'll see a list. Um, homosexuality is at the bottom. Lust, masturbation, por fornication, pornography, prostitution, rape. Homosexuality is formally listed at the bottom. One reason I say that is that, um, especially folks that I've met in Courage, but not just there, um, if, if, if our bishops and priests and educators have been uh, staunchly pro-life, I'm not sure they've been as zealously pro-chastity as I would wish they would have been. In other words, and, um, in other words um, when's the last time you heard a homily on contraception or or pornography, which is truly the scourge of our day. Um, and, and so I, it's just kind of an encouragement that sometimes those who struggle with same-sex attraction or homosexuality can feel picked on in the church because um, for all kinds of obvious reasons, it's a, it gets discussed a lot. But there are so many other, as we say, elephants in the living room. And I would say pornography is probably, uh, if, if, if it isn't um, um, <clears throat> contraception, pornography would, would be... Uh, would be the other one that is going on that um, um, it, can, it can be disheartening to know that all are called to chastity and we are, universal call, but to only have uh, maybe two to three, three or four percent of their population struggling with same-sex attraction kind of picked out. Uh, I, I leave it for you to consider, but that's something to keep in mind. Um, it would just, um, then another section talks about offenses against fertility and fruitfulness, contraception, sterilization, artificial insemination, and artificial fertilization. Again, um, there's all kinds of stuff going on. And then finally, offenses against dignity or fidelity of marriage. Again, sex, um, excuse me. Engaging in the marital embrace either outside of marriage or, or with people with whom not, when it's not married in some way. All right. <clears throat> According to the, the Congregation for the Doctrine of the Faith, um, I said, in, uh, in truth and love, that is, we're, um, Paul tells us to speak the truth in love, to live the truth in love. Um, in that spirit, the church will say, there's a difference between homosexual actions and homosexual feelings, or they would use the word, the homosexual condition or tendency. Actions are always wrong. Um, there is nothing sinful about having a tendency or condition or temptation, if you will, to engage in objectively wrong behavior. Um, they are different. But the church would also uh, said, the, so the acts themselves are intrinsically disordered, um, contrary to natural law. They, they're, they're closed to um, gift of life. They don't proceed from a genuine affective sexual complementarity. They cannot be approved, the acts themselves. Um, 
But, but the congregation also goes on to say that the, the condition or tendency, while not a sin in itself, is a strong tendency toward, again, they're, they're using strong terms. Um, um, if I'm talking to someone in a counseling setting, I might not use some of these terms, um, but the, again, uh, the, the, um, we're told that Jesus, as the, um, as the um, <coughs> suffering servant, came, he was not going to break the bruised reed, or he was not going to quench the smoldering wick. And certainly as a counselor, in fact, one advantage of, be, of being able to speak to people one-on-one -on -one instead of as a large group is that it makes it easier to try not to um, hurt someone who's already hurting. But intrinsic moral evil is what the tendency is toward. And then, the, then the term, though, it says it must be seen as an objective disorder. Um, I talked with Father Czech, who is the current uh, courage chaplain, about what are some other examples of objective disorders. Uh, and so, and he would say, well, tendencies, if you will, toward rape, incest, pornography, prostitution, human trafficking, genocide, suicide, abortion. Um, these would all be considered objective disorders in the same way. Again, to me, it's important to contextualize, put things in their proper place. Um, that is, that is, there would never be a time when any of these could be right. Um, the marital embrace by itself is proper in marriage. So a desire, if you will, for, for a marital embrace itself would not be an intrinsic moral evil, but, if I'm, if I am, but it would be wrong for me to engage in it with someone I'm not married, um, and when it isn't um, a loving act. All right. Moving on, pastoral care. Um, here I'm going to speak briefly uh, several documents that, um, whoops, this is, I'm sorry. I, I, went, I went the wrong way. All right. Um, I'm going to speak, I, I'm pulling here now from, from just some, some church documents, magisterial documents that often I think aren't read or talked about much. And here again, here I'm trying to speak the truth and love, caritas and veritate, and also um, the truth I'm sorry, uh, love and the truth, and I'm trying to speak the truth in the love. It's a matter of balancing um, the, both the soft and the hard side of love. All right, Suaviter et Fortiter is the motto of, of the St. Francis in my life, who is my patron, but he's not St. Francis, Francis of Assisi, he's St. Francis de Sales. I was taught by the Oblates of St. Francis de Sales, and one of his mottos was, whatever, love Suaviter et Fortiter, gently and firmly. Two expressions we may, or we may see that, Psalm 85, that line, kindness and truth shall meet. Or today, in church today, we had this refrain, because of your kindness and your truth, your right hand saves me, your kindness, O Lord, endures forever. Um, I'm kind of a feisty guy, and I just want to say that um, what we translate there as kindness, and other translations are actually translated love and mercy. Um, I had a discussion with my... Um, my Curcio group, with whom I've been meeting for over 20 years. And most of us would rather have mercy and grace than kindness. We'd like to have it all. But when you think of, it, think of that, if, the Lord is, if, if we're asking, Lord, give me your kindness, even more, what, what we want and need is, his, well, his, 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 his love. His, now, um, at my, um, I have a good friend who taught me uh, in high school. Uh, he has a little plaque. He's a, a, a Salesian priest, an oblate in France, and a sales priest. And it says, uh, it, it distinguished what is justice, what is mercy, and what is grace. Justice is receiving um, the good or bad that we deserve. Mercy is someone withholding the evil or, that we deserve. 
and grace is someone giving us the good we don't deserve. Our Lord, of course, gives us all. He loves us enough to let us suffer the, the proper consequences of our actions and justice, but he also will withhold uh, from us some of the things that might be consequences, and of course he gives us all kinds of things that we don't deserve or, or merit. Um, all right, CDF. It is pastoral to tell people the truth, remind them of who they are. The CDF says every person has a fundamental identity. We are a creature of God and by grace, his child and an heir to eternal life. I have many of my clients meditate on this um, journal that uh, try to internalize it. This line from Psalm 139. I thank you, Lord, that I am awesomely, wonderfully made. To me, um, this involves a person recognizing and delighting in our created and recreated being, in our created and recreated worth. We are each and all awesomely, wonderfully made. Everyone, man and woman, should acknowledge and accept his sexual identity, the Catechism reminds us. Physical, moral, and spiritual difference and complementarity are oriented toward goods of marriage and the flourishing of family life. I apologize, I'm going through this quickly. I am told, though, that, I, and I did submit my notes, this is not all the, note, all the notes, it's, it's a simpler version, but I, I trust that it is available to those who want it. So, um, now, this is key. Um, the human person can hardly be adequately described by a reductionist reference to his or her sexual orientation. The church refuses to consider the person as a heterosexual or a homosexual. And again, we are creatures of God and by, and by his grace, heirs, sons and daughters of the Father, brothers and sisters of Christ. Moving ahead pastorally. A, a homosexual person, as every human being, deeply needs to be nourished at many different levels simultaneously. Everyone living on the face of the earth has personal problems and difficulties, but also challenges the growth, strengths, talents, and gifts as well. Again, think of that quote from Pope Benedict. Each of us has a story, a soul, and a life. Each of us has personal problems and difficulties, also challenges to growth, strengths, talents, and gifts, and so on. Um, the fact that we have a particular problem does not eradicate that or make it different. Now, um, I, this is always an interesting um, uh, place. In, 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 one of the, in one of the three articles in the Catechism on Homosexuality, it says, homosexuality's psychological genesis remains largely unexplained. And this is both true and not true and for different reasons. Um, uh, let me say here, I'll say it a little bit more in, in the second half talk, but um, there is no one pathway or no one reason why anyone comes to develop or experience same-sex attraction. Um, well, there may be some common experiences that many people experience, but in the end, there is no one way. And some people will, who ex do experience same-sex attraction have not experienced what may be common among some or many. And others who, uh, other people who have experienced those kinds of, of, uh, of things do not develop same-sex attraction. So there's a bit of a mystery here. Others talk about this more, but, but so I believe this in part is what the, um, uh, what the catechism is referring to, quoting another source. But uh, magisterial documents do talk about some possible causes that, that have, been ex have been experienced in pastoral care. For instance, 
the Sacred Congregation for Catholic Education, says that some factors which may drive toward homosexuality include, I just, I'll read them, but um, I'm not going dis to discuss them in any detail at this time. It just mentioned physiological or psychological factors, not, not differentiated. A false education or the lack of a normal sexual evolution, lack of affection, immaturity, obsessive impulses, social isolation, or other types of frustration. Also, a contracted habit may drive one. A dep depravity, again, these are those, the words they use in dress, license in shows and publications, and, um, bad example or seduction. And then finally, um, as we might expect, a more theological uh, sense, the innate frailty of man and woman, and also the, the, a consequence of the original sin, the loss of the sense of God and of man and woman. All right. Um, in a more, I guess a more practical sense, uh, not past, uh, constructive sense, the, the Catechism also says that everyone is called to chastity, including people with homosexual tendencies. Um, they're called to learn, and, and by implication, can learn, can learn self-mastery. Uh, they're called to seek out and receive the benefit of disinterested friendship, prayer, and sacramental grace. And they, like all uh, human beings, but especially all Christians, are called to gradually and resolutely approach Christian perfection. See, Francis de Sales would say, perfection consists not in over having overcome all of our faults, but in continually striving to. Or as Mother Teresa says, it is faithfulness, not success. The Lord calls us to focus on. Now, um, <clears throat> the catechism will say, again, um, people with homosexual tendencies, and I would say anybody who's struggling with anything, but should be accepted with respect, compassion, and sensitivity. Any, every side of unjust discrimination in their regard should be avoided. I want to take a quick tangent here. Um, we think of, see, discrimination is not a bad thing, to make distinctions and to treat people based on their respective needs and gifts and, and whatever else. Um, this was brought home to me greatly. Um, I have a, one of my daughters is married to a young fella from Ireland. Um, and his sister and her husband uh, both teach. Think about the unjust discrimination in this. First off, um, she was given a full year of paid vacation uh, after each child was born. And he was given, I believe it's two months, maybe it was three, of, of paternal leave when, when his children was born, to paid uh, leave. Um, now, think about, is that an unjust discrimination? I mean, I don't think so. It's, it strikes me that at least there, um, feminism got it right, in the sense that um, there needs to be a proper recognition of the goodness and also the special needs of a woman who is, who is, who is pregnant, has had a child, and the need to be with her family. So again, so I just use that as a counterpoint. Again, um, the fact there is discrimination, uh, the question is, is it just or unjust? To treat people differently based on being different is not necessarily uh, unjust. All right, um, each person is called to fulfill God's will in our lives. Everyone's called to holiness. And if Christians, um, that um, it is possible that the difficulties of those who experience same-sex attractions, uh, they can be blessed by uniting to the sacrifice of our Lord's cross, the difficulties they experience. But again, that's true for each and all of us. Um, let me look at the time here. Okay. Um, 
Again, the Sacred Congregation for Catholic Education says a few things. The importance of welcoming each person who experiences these difficulties with understanding. All right? To seek to understand the causes of their condition or tendency. Again, the assumption is there are causes. We'll talk more about that in the second half of the talk. But that pastor of the church has discovered that, you know, it, people don't just, it doesn't just happen to people. There are things that are going on. Um, offer them support in the hope of their overcoming their personal difficulties and their social maladaptation. Again, these are, I'm quoting the English translation. And then finally, offer an efficacious help in the process of integral growth. Again, every human being is called to grow um, in an integrated way, and uh, everyone, including those with this particular difficulty, have the possibility to do so, even though it may be a lifelong effort. As I think I said more than once today, I was talking to some of the MA counseling classes, um, each of us, the day we die, is a work in progress, a work in process, if you will. And so there's always something to be done. That said, there may be particular needs for growing that particular people with particular difficulties have. Again, continuing the same document, create a, create a climate of hope for them, encourage the emancipation of the person uh, and their growth and self-control. That's part of the, catech the catechism had that point. Promoting an authentic moral force for the conversion of the love of God and neighbor. Again, we're all called a chastity, and so someone who experiences the same sex attraction, uh, this dicastery um, encourages people to, be, to convert people. Uh, and finally, suggest if necessary medical psychological assistance from persons attentive to and respectful to teach of the church. All right. Um, now, the um, Pontifical Council for the Family adds a few things. Again, uh, similar to the catechism and to the other document, accept people with respect, dignity, and delicacy, avoid unjust discrimination. This is an important one for us in MA counseling here. Especially when the practice of homosexual acts has not become a habit, many cases can benefit from appropriate therapy. And this is a big one for parents. Um, if parents notice the appearance of this tendency, or of a related behavior in their children during childhood or adolescence, they should seek help from expert qualified persons in order to obtain all possible assistance. All right. Uh, boy, I, want to, I almost want to take a break and ask questions, but I, we'll, we'll, we'll get there. We'll get there. Um, new Vocations for a New Europe is a document, it's a multi-dicastry document. Um, the primary one is the, is the um, uh, the, um, the, the Council for Catholic Education, but um, others. But uh, the document itself is, is, is talking about what it means to be effectively mature, psychologically mature, especially in terms of vocations. But one of the things I didn't mention is, um, along with working in the schools for 25 years, I was a peritus, which means an expert, um, for two marriage tribunals, which means I was writing marital autopsies for people that had. Um, procured uh, divorces, and now we're trying to seek an annulment and that sort of thing. And of course, the issue of effective maturity is a buzzword in seminaries. The goal is how can we help people be psychologically mature or effectively mature? That's the, the term, emotionally mature. Um, and that, so, what's needed for that? Well, pastorally, we help people, uh, that is, a person is effectively mature if, and we help people become effectively mature if they experience, not just in their head, I know that I'm loved, but they experience in their heart, experience that they've already been loved and that they know how to love. It's like the difference between saying, I know God loves me, do I know God loves me? 
it's the same kind of a thing. In this case, um, do I know I'm loved? Do I know in my heart I'm loved? Um, again, same document. Um, the call is to help people whose past were difficult, even traumatic, come to be reconciled with, this is, I quote their word, the negative aspects of their lives. Learn how to recognize at some level in some way, and I would say uh, recognize with gratitude uh, the blessings that have come about as a result of dealing with the negatives, even if one doesn't grateful for the negatives themselves. Coming to be reconciled with our life history, to view our experiences as a grace, not just a, a lament. That's a tall order, but it's something that anyone dealing with any kind of an issue in, in his or her life um, may need to do in order to truly move on. Um, the same document. Help become, helping people become reconciled with the significant figures of their past, with all of their strengths and weaknesses. Um, I put in here forgiveness properly practiced. This isn't the place or time that I can discuss what the forgiveness process does involve. But it involves two movements, a movement, movement of understanding and compassion for oneself, and then a movement of understanding and compassion for the person that may have offended or harmed us. And both need to take place. People that are religious will often get into the second part, that is trying to forgive their offender without having honestly developed a, a sense of, of uh, empathy for and compassion for themselves. But at any rate, this is part of what, this is what it takes to accomplish this. But finally, uh, a point to add, actual reconciliation in a sense of either reestablishing a relationship or establishing for the first time a relationship that never existed um, with a past offender may not be possible or wise for a season that may include the rest of one's life. Also, the person who may have offended us may be dead. So, um, forgiveness can be unilateral, but true reconciliation requires a mutual effort by two people that are mutually able to trust the other. It may not always be possible for that to happen. All right. Um, I, this is about the last point that I'm going to get into, and then uh, um, we'll have questions. Um, this third part is advice from courage members, and this is off of a document I cited in the, uh, the notes that are available for those of you on the, um, on the um, somewhere, somewhere in cyberspace, uh, these things are available. Um, but um, I just thought I'd reflect on them out loud. All right. Well, first off, the catechism tells us the virtue of chastity blossoms in friendship. Um, it seems to be one of the, one of the messages of the modern, even men's movement, if you will, um, uh, promise keepers and, and among the various um, Catholic groups of men, St. Joseph Covenant keepers and many others, of course, and, and, and even the, uh, the faith-sharing groups in, in, involved in parishes, is the need for friendship. All men need to have mature friendship with other men, women with women, and so on. And um, uh, it's, a, it's a necessary but not sufficient condition for, for chastity. One of, the, one, of the courage, uh, one of the five goals of courage is, is working toward uh, mature, chaste friendships. All right. The document basically gives advice for your information, confessors and spiritual directors. This is what we ask you to do that helps us. All right. It says, first, please emphasize that a person, meaning us, with same-sex attraction is loved by God and that God's graces are as available to us as they are to anyone else. It reminds us that God loves us even though he has permitted us to carry this cross. Please challenge us to seek holiness and wholeness while at the same time 
acknowledging the burden of our cross. In other words, it's a both and. Um, uh, don't, is it, is it, don't uh, again, um, speaking the truth in love means, uh, again, love and truth shall meet. And so uh, challenge us to be virtuous, but also recognize it's tough. Again, chastity is tough no matter whether we experience same-sex attraction or not. But people with same-sex attraction in particular are saying, acknowledge, challenge us to, to, do, to live virtuously, but please um, be empathized with how tough it is. The third point, when we come to you, offer us hope. It can be hope from many different areas, but offer us hope. Pray for us and let us know that you are praying for us. That is, it, to me, part of that says is connect with us personally. Um, be there for us in a personal way. Now, more practical. Please suggest reasonable limits on computer access and use if pornography is a problem. Again, um, it's, it seems to me that, um, again, in marriage today, among young people today, college students, again, uh, I, I think I've, I said this in the class that, uh, earlier this morning, I say it to the seminarians. My generation has a big burden of guilt and an apology to make to young people because we've let the media like the internet become so uh, out of control that what would have been available to me, for instance, growing up I, in an alley, someone might, you might stumble upon a, you know, a, a girly magazine, they called them back then. But think of how accessible the stuff is today. Whatever else is true, it's a scourge. And um, certainly not just the people same-sex attraction, but it certainly is that. All right. Please give compassionate and practical advice and suggest that we contact a professional if you judge our needs exceed your ability to help us. Some people do have other needs that need to be addressed. We'll talk about some of that after the break, but um, what they're saying is give us, be practical. Help us out that way. And if you think we need more help, uh, please advise us. Uh, please offer to meet for spiritual direction or for a conversation outside the confessional. There's a caveat to that at the very end, I'll say. But, but in general, um, in other words, be a real person to us. This is my 15-minute warning. I'm almost done here. Um, please be a strong and compassionate spiritual father and brother in Christ. If it is true that, um, that um, persons with same-sex attraction often hunger for and struggle for same-sex attention, affection, affirmation, and so forth. Um, it's also true that they often hungered for opposite sex, a proper opposite sex, same attention, affection, affirmation. At any rate, those who serve those with same-sex attraction be a strong, compassionate, spiritual father and brother in Christ, um, or sister in Christ, if, if, that's, if you're a, a woman. Please encourage us to serve in the parish and our diocese. In other words, help us be involved in the church um, in ways that would use our gifts and allow us to be a, a full member of the body of Christ active. Please suggest that we find an accountability partner and or support group. Here's, I th here's where I throw in a quote. It's from the, it was made famous by the promise keepers that each man, okay, talking about men, we all, need a, we all need a Paul, a Barnabas, and a Timothy in our life. We all need somebody like Paul that would, in, um, uh, as he says in Galatians, I told Cephas off, I told Peter off to his face. Um, but somebody who would also uh, support us, uh, cover our back, be there for us. We all need a Barnabas. Again, it was Barnabas who got Paul involved in the ministry, began the missionary journeys, introduced him to the apostles, and so on. Um, we all need a Timothy. 
if and when we have matured to the point where we truly can maturely serve others, we need to serve others who are less farther along um, in the journey that we're making in some way. So to be of service to others who are younger than we are. Um, again, it's for courage, there are, um, uh, study and live the five goals of courage. Uh, if, you're a, um, a, if you're a family member of a loved one with SSA, study and live the five goals of, goals of encourage. Again, there's plenty of things I'm not going to go into right now. Um, consider encouraging somebody to participate in a courage group, or at least the, in, the, um, on the courage listserv. Oops, let me go back up there a second. Um, uh, there are some people who do not live close to a courage group, but, uh, and while it, it isn't all that it should be, it's better than nothing to be a part of a, of a listserv. You know? And, and the, the courage women especially are very, very tight. They really uh, give each other all the good stuff. All right. Finally, this is my one caveat. If you, if you, that is, if a confessor or director struggles with SSA in, his, in your own personal life, the advice is please don't share your difficulties with us or seek social contact with us outside the confessional. In other words, boundaries are key. And it's not that your own experience can't help you serve um, someone who struggles, but the key is to, um, those kind of sharing probably doesn't help unless you are truly much more mature along the way. I'm going to skip this, the goals of courage. Um, I think I'm going to end with this quote, and then, and then I'll take questions. Um, I studied philosophy. The, the, one of the translators of Jacques Maritain was um, uh, Joe Evans, Joseph Evans, who was my advisor. And this comes from his book, St. Thomas Aquinas. I read lots of things for fun, but one of the things I'm reading lately are a number of different books about St. Thomas. Um, anyway, here's a quote. Today the devil has so contrived everything in the regime of terrestrial life that the world will soon be habitable only to saints. Christian heroism will one day become the sole answer to the problems of life. Then, as God proportions his graces to needs, and tries no one beyond his strength, we should doubtless see coincide with the worst state of human history, a flowering of sanctity. Jacques Maritain wrote this in 1930. We know what happens during the, the decade of the 30. In 19, 1930 was when the, um, the Anglicans first broke ranks with the Christian churches in permitting uh, contraception. And of course, we know what happened in, in Germany after that. Um, so that's um, 80 years ago. Anyway, um, I, I will now be entertaining questions, but it will just remind us again that uh, as a, our beloved, um, our beloved uh, Pope Benedict invites us all to look into the face of the other and see that he or she has a soul, a story, and a life, that he or she is a person, and God loves him or her as he loves me. An initiative of Franciscan University of Steubenville. Faithandreason.com Be transformed by the renewal of your mind.